the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, does it? AM 1420, WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Tim Weisberg here. Wow, these headphones are terrible. I'm using uh, left-in-the-studio equipment tonight. Hang on one second. That might work a little better. Can you hear me now? Good. Actually, you know what? You know what's funny is we want to say uh, congratulations to one of the writers of Possession of the Church, Rebecca Coleman, who uh, won a Associated Press Award for a headline she wrote for the newspaper and the Standard Times when they busted all the drug dealers and they took all their cell phones and everything and they had a picture of all the cell phones and she wrote the headline, Can You Hear Me Now? So, congratulations, Rebecca. And I've been hearing all kinds of things about possession of the church. I know Matt Moniz, uh, you asked me kind of like a day or two after if I'd heard any feedback and I said, no, I hadn't really heard anything, but it seems like the last few days has been a real flurry of uh, feedback. A couple emails saying that they really liked what we did Somebody else saying that they hope we make it an every summer kind of thing because it's a great thing to listen to on a summer night. Somebody else saying, hey, you should do one at Halloween time. So lots of um, lots of positivity regarding our old-time radio live drama. I had an absolute blast doing it. And, and that was with very little preparation. I mean, only a, really a couple of days' practice. Imagine if we actually followed up and did it the right way and actually had rehearsals. Uh, I think we didn't do that bad, like you said, for right out of the box with not having any real. Well, I mean, we th- we thrust the bulk of the work on this guy over here. I mean, he's the one that's got to come up with all these sound effects and knowing how to put music in at the right time and everything. And he did a, a bang-up job with that. But maybe next time we can make his job a little easier and, and go over it four or five, six times instead of just, you know, the night before. It wasn't too bad. Well, we should get – next time I should uh, go over there with a, a saw – I was going to say, yeah, well, you know, if we give you enough time, you can get all the, the different things to make real noise. Do it the real way. Yeah. yeah. Do the know, old so. actual Foley yeah. type of recordings? I, I don't know if that would work in here with actors because there's not enough room. And we couldn't have that fan on. Man, yeah. it got hot in here. <laughs> but, you know, because uh, you, you don't want the fan to come through. And I, I hope people understand the sacrifice we make every Saturday night here on WPSM. Spooky South Coast, sweating in the studio just to not have the fan sound show up in the podcast. You're fine on AM, you can't hear it, but when we have the digital podcast, all you hear is in the background. So, so that was a pretty good sound effect there. I could be a Foley artist with just my mouth. You should hear my impression of a screaming fox. <laughs> not so good. But uh, anyway, so there's a lot of positive response to Possession of the Church. If you haven't heard it, it's out there on the podcast uh, if you subscribe to iTunes or Zune Marketplace or any place you get our, our podcast, Podcast Alley, Podcast Pickle, Podcast.net, Podcast.com. Anything with podcast. I'm going to get them up on Planet Paranormal soon, too, so you can download it that way as well. And pretty soon, Matt, you should have the, the archives updated on the website. They are updated. They are updated. Surprise, I don't go to surprise. our website. 
You know why? You know how you know that I haven't been there because there's nothing on the front page about tonight's show. So I haven't been there. I, I changed it to uh, TBA. Ah, so TBA. The, that's, the, that's, old, the old TBA. TBA's had more appearances on this show than anybody else, <laughs> more than Chris Balzano, <laughs> and that's hard to do. But uh, yeah, tonight we actually do not have a guest because uh, some things fell through, so uh, we don't have anybody joining us tonight. But that's all right. We're still going to put on a terrific show for you. We got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. We have uh, apparently a monster sighting in Long Island, so we'll talk about that. And it wasn't Matt Moniz because he's been here all weekend. Also, we'll talk about the new lawsuit at the Fall River. Um, we'll say the real Lizzie Borden site, uh, not the new fangled Salem version. But I don't know, Matt Moniz. Obviously, we can't have the principals involved in this now that there's been a suit filed. Uh, we had talked about possibly having, you know, Leanne and Donald from Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast come on. They can't speak about that because it's current litigation. They filed suit Tuesday, so now we can't actually, you know, have them come in. And I mean, we could have the the other gentleman come in. Uh, let me just scan for his for his name right here, real quick. Leonard Pickle. We could have, or Pickle. We could have Leonard come in and, and, you know, totally blow his end of the lawsuit by talking about it. But I'm sure his lawyers have advised him against it. So uh, yeah, that that would have been nice. That would have been really helping out our friends by doing that. But you know, I'm sure his lawyers have told him not to speak on it. So we can't have the principals join us. But that doesn't stop us from being able to kick around the subject. The one thing that I have a problem with is I, I can't imagine there'd be any cause for us to go into any proceedings as witnesses so I think we'll be alright and even so we haven't been asked yet so we can still talk about it freely yeah, good point I, it just it never even occurred to me until like 30 seconds ago that wait a minute what if something happens where we have to comment but I can't, I can't imagine so in other words this episode of Spooky South Coast could wind up a you know lost podcast <laughs> yeah maybe maybe evidence yeah but uh, basically, what I'll do is I'll, I'll do, I'm just going to read the story that ran in the Fall River Herald. And actually, the, the Fall River newspaper and the Salem newspaper are both part of the same newspaper chain. And so the same writer wrote the story, uh, and, it, and it has kind of a Fall River slant to it, but it appeared exactly the same way in the Salem newspaper as well. Um, so, th- But this does come from the Fall River Herald News. The Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast showed it's serious about protecting its reputation as a museum to the Borden murders suing the true story of Lizzie Borden in Salem for trademark infringement. In the suit filed in U.S. District Court Wednesday, the Fall River Bed and Breakfast seeks a ruling that would keep the Salem Museum from using the Lizzie Borden Museum in its name. The Bed and Breakfast said it will suffer irreparable harm if the Salem Museum is able to use the name. The Salem Museum plans to open next week and is billing itself as a museum designed to separate the truth from the myth and the murders. The concept of a museum devoted to separating fact from myth and telling the true story of Lizzie Borden is long overdue, its website says. Apparently, this guy's never been to Fall River. Donald Woods, the bed and breakfast owner, declined comment. Woods attorney Jeremy Blackowitz did not respond to a call seeking comment. The Salem Museum has created the website www.lizzybordenmuseum.com, which the bed and breakfast owner said is confusingly similar to the Fall River Museum's lizzie-borden.com. Operators of the Bed and Breakfast said the site has held copyright to Lizzie Borden Museum since 2002. Visitors to the Bed and Breakfast on 2nd Street have asked tour guides about the connection between the Fall River and Salem Museums, and people are likely to believe the two are affiliated, the Fall River Museum said. The Bed and Breakfast has already suffered irreparable harm because of it, according to the lawsuit. 
Leonard Pickell, owner of the True Story Museum, said the bed and breakfast sent him three notifications beginning June 17th, demanding he use the end use of Lizzie Borden Museum and that he knew of the copyright to the phrase. But according to Pickell, the trademark belongs to a company that owned the bed and breakfast before Woods bought it. Still, Pickell said he agreed to stop using the words gift shop and museum at the end of the name because he, quote, wanted to be nice and to avoid a lawsuit. He said he won't stop losing, using LizzieBordenMuseum.com because he bought the web name in 1996 before the trademark was awarded. Pickell points out another website for the Lizzie Borden, Lizzie, I'm sorry, the Lizzie Andrew Borden Virtual Museum and Library, and asks why the Fall River Museum wasn't suing that group. But Pickell, who said in a July 31st Herald News story that he's received letters from angry Fall River residents, said his museum will help draw attention to the Borden story and benefit Fall River. Because of where we are with a number of tourists, we're going to drive an incredible amount of business to Fall River from people who had no idea that Lizzie Borden even occurred in Massachusetts, he said. It's very sad that they've decided they own Lizzie Borden and no one else can play in their sandbox. Woods, the bed and breakfast owner, said in the July 31st story that the true story of Lizzie Borden shouldn't include the name museum because it doesn't have artifacts. So there you have it. That's the story that ran in both the Fall River newspaper and the Salem newspaper. Matt Moniz, any comments? Uh... Donald Woods uh, is correct in the sense that he's saying they don't possess any artifacts. And as far as I'm concerned, if you don't have any artifacts, you really can't consider yourself to be a museum about a particular topic. What do you think, Matt Costa? I think it's kind of uh, dumb that it's... (laughs) That's kind of the point? Well, that the museum is like 100 miles or so away from the actual site where it happened. Yeah. So... I and mean, that'd be like putting a Gettysburg it has, it has memorial like no histori- here. It has no historic value. So yes, uh, let's open a Boston Tea Party museum I, down here in New Bedford. Yeah, <laughs> that means I could just open up a museum for a silly buddy. Well, I mean, you. Oh, I whatever. think there is one. That actually, yeah. I mean, you theoretically could open a museum for anything you wanted if you had a reason to call it a museum. If you have artifacts, if you have some reason to open a museum that I, I don't think it's exclusive to a location. It can uh, be a thing. Look at the guy in Wareham who has the thermometer museum. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's just a collection that he's turned into a museum, but you could certainly, you know, like our, our friend down at, you know, Stony, our friend yeah. down at Knuckleheads, he has uh, a collection of sideshow memorabilia. And, I could open up my own museum. You have different paranormal evidence, but, but I mean, that's different. You could You could certainly say you acquired you know, hundreds of, of samples of, of UFO things and put them all on display. Well, not only that, the fossils that I have and all of the other And they're artifacts. not in the location where they were gathered, but yeah. they're in a central location where you can go and investigate them. You know, uh, not every baseball player played in Cooperstown. Right. In fact, most, most of the people in Cooperstown have never played a game in Cooperstown. But that's where the museum is uh, because that is where it was founded. Uh, you know, same thing with Canton, Ohio, with the Football Hall of Fame, Springfield, the Basketball Hall of Fame. It's where it was founded, and that's why the museum has been put in that location. Or Cleveland with the Rock and Roll Museum. Well, because of Alan Freed, and, and he term, he's the one that coined the phrase rock and, and roll. roll. So, I mean, I, I, it's a stretch to have it in Cleveland, I think. I think it should have been in a, in a bigger location. But anyway, I mean, that's beside the point. My theory with this, though, is you, you can't stop somebody from deciding that they want to have a museum dedicated to Lizzie Borden. Anybody in the world can do it. Faye Musselman could put it out a museum that would, you know, oh. smack everybody in the face with the stuff she's collected over the years. But what I can understand is trying to stop them from using that name. 
especially if they have a copyright in place on it. You know, this and this person, this Leonard Pickell, knew this going in. It, as you said, he knew that they were awarded the the copyrights to it back then because he was fighting about obviously the the website. Mm-hmm. Now he had to have known that this was going to be a problem opening it up later because I mean he's already admitted it there. So, and, and the, the the problem I have with this is. Uh, that he had three notifications sent to him beginning June 17th, and that he knew of the copyright, as you said. So, you know, the fact that you then knew about willful. that, you should have you should have treaded lightly anyway. And then I understand his argument, though, that the trademark was owned by the previous owner, Martha yeah, McGinn, and her group. But they were. But that was all bought. I, can you transfer copyright? I'm not sure that you can transfer copyright when there's when you purchase. I'm I, not sure the rules of that, but according to the story, uh, I think you can because when you per- other businesses purchase other businesses that have copyrights and uh, trademarks, so yeah, you're purchasing the business. Well, according to the story, anyway, it says that you know Donald and Leanne have owned the copyright since 2002, so they already have the yeah. copyright. So then it must have transferred so over, mo- or they yeah. filed new paperwork. Yeah. Either way, so I mean, therefore, yes, it does belong to them. And he brings up this other aspect of, you know, the other website, uh, the Lizzie Andrew Borden Virtual Museum and Library. Well, that is actually LizzieBorden.com with no dash in the middle. That's why the Bed and Breakfast has the dash in the middle, because the Virtual Museum and Library is owned by, it's operated by Stephanie Corey, who um, is, she talked with me in the past. I've, I've met her at, a, at something in uh, Fall River before, and we'll have her on the show eventually. We've, we've talked about it, but we just haven't been able to get everything together and that website is really a research website um, it, when they use the term museum it's because all the documents are found there all the photographs are found there it actually is a museum online it's a virtual museum and there's no physical location that would draw people to it that would make people confused and, and think that that is tied into right. it's a virtual this, this. destination not an actual destination exactly and you know bottom line it's not taking tourism dollars out of another location's pocket uh, if you go to the lizzieborden.com website and I think they also own lizzieandrewborden.com uh, she also has I believe she has 92secondstreet.com she owns a number of Lizzie Borden related websites that I'll point to I'm this one I'm surprised Horrigan doesn't own them <laughs> That's true. John Horgan owns everything else, but uh, you know, so that is a different entity unto itself. Um, obviously, you know, the website makes its own little bit of money off the Lizzie Borden name because they publish a newsletter that you can subscribe to. They sell copies of documents. They sell. They have their own store where they sell things. But it's it's a totally different idea than to say that you are the go-to destination point to find all these things related to the Lizzie Borden case. That's you know, I just think to bring that up is is reaching for straws. I mean, there's a hundred Lizzie Borden websites online. Look at the band. I mean, is that really conflictory? It's it's a name. It's a name from history. Well, they they also got around it by spelling it differently too. True. And to call this the true story of Lizzie Borden, all right, fine. I haven't been there. I can't make any kind of judgment. But I, if I'm looking for the truth, I'm probably going to go to the place where it happened before I'm going to go to Salem. Because there's really not a lot of truth going on in Salem these days anyway, if you've been there lately. It's not exactly uh, you know, it's a little bit commercialized, can we say? Yeah. Yeah. 
And so, uh, I, I don't know. From what I understand, and, and what we'll do is during a break, we'll actually get the lawsuit up online here because there's a few things I want to read from the from the lawsuit uh, directly, and we'll talk about it. But we'll also take your calls. What do you think about this? What do you think of the idea of Lizzie Borden being co-opted by Salem? Give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. Want to take a break, Matt? Sure. All right, we'll take a break. We'll get that lawsuit up online. And uh, we'll talk more about it when we come back here on Spooky South Coast. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. Well, we're back, and I can't access the lawsuit on the computer. But basically, there's uh, the whole thing is up there. If you go to the Fall River Herald story online, uh, you, there's a link at the bottom that takes you directly to the lawsuit page. It's a PDF file. Open it up, and it's got all the information there. Read it over and let us know what you think about that. If you want to call up to talk about this, Lizzie Borden being co-opted by the city of Salem? Well, know, it's an individual. I know. Well, I know. But we're we're trying to talk in glittering generalities here to generate controversy. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred, five zero eight two nine one zero five hundred. Yes, the man's name is Leonard Pickell. He apparently lives in South Carolina, uh, owns a, his business operates out of Delaware, and he's opening up a Lizzie Boyd Museum in Salem. So, sure. Okay. Yeah. But uh, that's. Uh, I think we should just respond by opening up a Salem Witch Museum in Fall River. Tit for tat. Yeah. Hey, what do you think? We can do it. We'll just. Uh, we'll. We'll open up right down the street from Lizzie Borden's. Sure. I mean, I mean I'm not trying to. Uh, I know that a lot of people are going to say, "Hey, you know, you're not going to be fair because you're friends with Leanne and you're friends with the you know the owners of the house, and you guys investigate there regularly and." We so have our own key. They're going to think that we're, you know, showing favoritism to that side. But I, I really do think that that's the case. I think that that is, it, it really is copyright infringement in my opinion. I, I think you should be able to display whatever he wants related to Lizzie Borden. Absolutely. If you're going to build a, a museum, some sort of place in, fall, in uh, Salem, to talk about this case and maybe other cases, maybe other strange and unusual stories out of history, fine. Go ahead. You should. But you can't. You can't Back lift somebody else's name that's already copyrighted. Yeah, and you know, should you be able to copyright the name Lizzie Borden? That's a whole other question. Should you be able to copyright the idea of all things Lizzie Borden and kind of take that all in for your own? No, you shouldn't because you're not Lizzie Borden. You're not a descendant of the Borden family. But when you put the word museum at the end of it, you're now creating, you know, a, a separate identity of it. The Lizzie Borden Museum, copyrighted, can't use it. Independent entity unto itself. So. I mean, that being said, you would hope that nobody can start a Matt, Mu Matt Moniz museum and copyright it out from under you, but we're talking about somebody who passed away, you know, quite a while ago. You've been quiet, Matt. You you're taking Leonard Pickell's side, aren't you? <laughs> no. No? No. I don't know. It's like you said, it is copyright infringement, so. I mean, I, but th I mean, that being said, too. I I've been saying that being said quite a bit Maybe. tonight. I think I have. I apologize for that. Whoever's listening, turn it into a drinking game. Yes, every time I say that being said, <laughs> take a shot of milk. But, uh, because we don't condone drinking. In a dirty glass. Unless you're listening to the Backyard Only podcast. <laughs> but, 
you know, getting back to the to the idea of um, now, I forgot what I was talking about. Do you think people are gonna actually start to confuse, like if they did uh, name it the Lizzie Borden, have let it be uh, two museums? Mm-hmm. Do you think people will confuse the actual site? Well, there's, a, there's Salem. They're gonna think that happened in Salem. Yeah. Uh, Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast is saying that there's already been confusion that people think that. You know, that's like a satellite site related to what, you know, Leanne and Donald are doing. Yeah. So uh, if there's that kind of confusion already, then I think, yeah, it's possible that there could be some confusion. Obviously, if you go into the museum in Salem, you're going to realize that it happened in Fall River. But, I mean, this claim here anyway that Leonard Pickell says, you know, uh, we've, we're going to drive an incredible amount of business to Fall River from people who had no idea that Lizzie Borden even occurred in Massachusetts. Well, I'm pretty sure that if they didn't know that it happened in Massachusetts, they're not going to a museum about it. <laughs> like, that's kind of the whole draw when you... you know. Chances are if they know about the museum and want to see it, they already know the history of it. I don't know. It, or it at just, least some of the basics. And they have, you know, they have a sign on the highway that says Lizzie Boyd Museum talking about the bed and breakfast. Yep. Uh, they have, you know, even the Fall River Historical Society recognizes that... There's items on display in a museum type fashion at the bed and breakfast. So, yeah, actual material owned by the Bordens still in the home. Yes. The only material that they don't have are things, uh, things directly related to the criminality of the case, and they there's a few other artifacts at the at the Fall River Historical Society, but most of the things regarding the case are at the house. Most of the, you know, things in the home are either original or they were at the time period it's just more authentic to me to go to the house. yeah yeah if you want to if you if you want to find out exactly the whole story you you go there where you can actually see where it happened if you want to read about it well you can read about it on a virtual museum you don't have to go to salem to do it he's just hoping that being already in salem and people are already there to check out this stuff you know whatever you want to call it paranormally related you know just macabre related you know, he's already there, so he's going to draw in business from people to say, oh, well, while we're here, why don't we check out that Lizzie Borden Museum? Nobody's going to Salem to find out about Lizzie Borden. Yeah, they're going to Salem to find out about the witch trials. And they're going to Salem. And piracy. And they're going to Salem to, to visit my brother-in-law at Salem State. <laughs> That's the other thing most people uh, go to Salem for is the pirate museum, actually. Salem was actually, I believe, founded by pirates. They do a number of events there, too. Um, related to celebrating the pirate history as well. So it's not just all about the witches, even though they do call themselves the Witch City. Yeah, true. Witch City? Fall River. That's the one. <laughs> so anyway, if you have any thoughts on this, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. It's part of our paranormal potpourri that we're going to be bandying about tonight, as well as a bunch like of... Uh, what? Paranormal potpourri. That's what I usually call the show when we don't have a guest. Mm. Because we basically just put a bunch of stuff together and, and try. I, and I like the alliteration. Time. We're all about alliteration. We are spooky South Coast. <laughs> but when we came up with the name, that's what I said to Matt. I was like, "You gotta have alliteration. That's what sticks in people's minds." Like Channel Seven. Yeah, <laughs> everything Channel Seven does is alliteration. Fire at Fenway. Not that there was a fire at Fenway. I was just it's the best thing I could think of. Bernie Mac bronchitis. No, jeez. <laughs> What was the over-under on how long it would take me to make a Bernie Mac joke? Uh, I think, I don't know. We're going to get killed. We're going to get killed on the internet for that. 
It's uh, it was amazing. Like I I knew that he was ill, but I didn't know that he'd passed away till I went on MySpace and saw hundreds of MySpace video tributes. Already, yeah. it's like the crocodile hunter all over again. Oh, we're such insensitive jerks. Thought the phone lines were gonna light up on that one. But <laughs> it's a sad day, America. Hey, remember how I said we usually have no problem filling a two-hour show when we just talk amongst ourselves? You lied. Yeah, I think we're dying here. No, okay. But, you know, we're, we're talking about Hollywood and, and strange things that happen in Hollywood. This is something that came across Matt Casa and I's plate earlier this week. You know, because we read the Boston Herald because we're strict conservatives. And we like tabloid journalism. Well, one of those two statements is true. But uh, supposedly... You're strict conservatives? That's not the one. <laughs> Although I've been accused of it. I don't know why people think that. But anyway. This maybe, is a, maybe it's the haircut. Maybe. When I had hair down past my shoulders, they didn't think I was. Well, uh, here, here's a question for you. Now, I know, Matt, you've seen it. Uh, Matt Moniz, have you had a chance to see The Dark Knight yet? No, I have not. No, but Matt Costa, you yeah. did. What did you think of the film? I, I thought it was uh, better than expected. It was a little long, but I think it was worth it. See, I saw it, and I, I think I might have fallen asleep during it, because there's parts of it that I've read about online that I don't remember being in the movie, which, you know, normally I fall asleep during movies anyway. It's definitely the darker of all the Batman films. You think so? So far, yeah. Darker than Batman Returns? I think so. Well, it is the Dark Knight. That's true. I think the next one is going to be even darker, based on where the story goes at the end. But, you know, there's a story that's going out there. Is the movie The Dark Knight Cursed? And this comes from the Boston Herald, but the story's been all over the place. The box office behemoth expected to pass the $400 million mark this week is notorious as being the late Heath Ledger's last completed movie. Now Morgan Freeman, the 71-year-old actor who plays Batman's techie Lucius Fox, is in serious... Which is another great example, by the way, of a terrible name in a Batman movie. <laughs> ...is in serious condition following a car accident in Mississippi last Sunday night. The Oscar-winning actor was driving his wife's friends Damaris Myers... 1997 Nissan Maxima, which, why is Morgan Freeman driving his wife's friend's 97 Nissan Maxima? It was the last car parked in the driveway. <laughs> it's the only <laughs> thing I could think of. Uh, when it rolled off Tallahatchie County Highway 32, not off the Tallahatchie Bridge. Bridge. No. But it rolled off the highway, flipping over several times. Maya was treated for minor injuries and released. Freeman, who was driving to his Charleston home, reportedly suffered broken ribs and was airlifted to the hospital. The tragedy follows assault allegations made last month by the mother and sister of Dark Knight star Christian Bale. The 34-year-old Bale denied the charges, but he'll be back in court next month. The Dark Knight is dedicated at the end of the film to both 28-year-old Ledger, who died of an accidental overdose last January 22nd, and Conway Wycliffe, 41, a stunt supervisor who died in a freak accident in London while setting up a car crash, which you were telling yeah. me about earlier, Mac Austin. The Dark Knight joins a grim list of cursed flicks. The Superman hex struck Christopher Reeve, who shot to fame after starring in the 1978 movie, after he broke his neck in a horse riding accident. Television's original Superman, George Reeves, no relation, died in an apparent suicide in 1969. The 1982 horror classic Poltergeist was haunted by the premature deaths of two of its female stars. Vanity Fair celebrity scribe Dominic Dunn's daughter Dominique was murdered by her living lover soon after the film was finished. And Heather O'Rourke, the film's child star, died in 1998 at age 12 of cardiopulmonary arrest prompted by Crohn's disease. Uh, that was in the midst of filming Poltergeist 3. 
So what do you think? Dark Knight cursed? I mean, I think the Superman curse is a little overplayed to connect Christopher. I mean, it was like 30, 20 years after he made the movie that he was... When, when did it happen? Uh, it doesn't say when, but it was like, you know... 2001 or somewhere around there. It might have... I think he died, like, in what, 06? 05? Yeah. So, yeah, the accident happened many years before that, so... It, you're kind of pushing it, I guess, to say that he was cursed that long. I mean, he had a pretty good career between Superman and never anything to that type of level of success. But uh, he used to own a home right here in Fairhaven. Really? Yeah. You, you didn't know that? No, I didn't. Uh, yeah. W- was he there frequently or was he yes, just... Yes, actually. Right in the local stores around here, he'd be seen shopping with his wife and the kids. Well, I mean, by all accounts, he was, no pun intended, a super guy. But... That's what everybody said, yeah. And I don't think that his accident is directly related to the fact that he was in a Superman film. Just as, you know, I, coincidence comes into play here, but I mean, it all depends on how much you believe in coincidence, as our friend George Noy says. But how, how much of this can be coincidence and how much of this can be a curse? We've talked about curse films here before in the past. Uh, besides Poltergeist, you know, there's also The Exorcist, there's also The Omen. These movies seem to carry a curse around them, but we're talking about a, a superhero movie here now potentially being cursed. Yeah. Do you do you think that that's possible? Do you think that there could be a reason for this? Uh, I think it's just a collection of, you know, bad things that happen. Can you say that's a curse? If you want to label it as that, yeah, I guess. I mean, a curse, I mean, a curse has to do with some, in order for something to be cursed, you have to have somebody that imposes it upon exactly. it. Exactly. And I can't yeah. imagine anybody cursed the Dark Knight movie. Um, I mean, maybe Joel Schumacher, but he should be—he should be cursed himself. That's what he did to the Batman franchise. But what do you think, Macasa? I mean, do you believe in the idea of curses? I don't know if it's actually cursed. It's probably uh, when you think about how many people actually work on this movie, mm-hmm. and then or a big budget movie like this. There just, you go, it, the, Just the odds. And it's and it's so high profile. It's called statistics. Yeah. The, the statistics will dictate that, you know, you have X amount of people. Out of that, the potential for one or two people to die is this much. Yeah, and it's so high profile that every little thing that happens is going to be compounded into something like, oh, that's part of the curse. You know, like, um, just trying to think of you know, some of these. Uh, all right, like, um, oh, let me think of the Suppose the hairstylist niece's cousin gets exactly. into, you know... Well, Ju- Julian Sands, uh, who played uh, the the preacher Kane in the Poltergeist films, you know, he was sick when he signed on to make those movies. He already knew that he was dying, and, and he passed away while they were filming the movies. Is that curse-related? No. He went into the film being sick. Um, okay, if you want to do something like that, why, what about, well, maybe we are getting into something here. Plan 9 from Outer Space. Why? What, what's connected to that? Well, Bella Lugosi died while he was still, but, was still filming that. But he was old. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you can't really... I mean, there's been many instances where somebody's died, you know, a natural death while while they've been filming a film. But, I mean, do we, do we call the crow cursed? I mean, we call it the Lee curse, the curse yeah. of the family, because they both died while filming movies, but it doesn't mean that the movie itself was cursed. Right. Um... That one actually does creep me out. The fact that they both died prematurely in, you know, making films. 
that to me seems it doesn't seem like it's a curse per se as it seems like poor career choices <laughs> no that's not really what, <laughs> I was thinking more like uh, you know there might be I don't want to say foul play but well, that was convenient negligence. Convenient negligence. negligence. Yes. Yeah, that was the first. You know, Bruce Lee. That's a big rumor that had been going around for years. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I'll put it this way: some people had made alleged that is because he had some sort of gambling thing and he owed money. Other people say it's because he got involved with somebody else. I mean, there are hundreds of different theories and stories to go along with why. Oh, of course. Whenever anything like this happens, there's got to be, you know, numerous stories of, of I heard from this guy that this guy had yeah. this going on. Yeah. You know, it's it's always a he said kind of thing. But just looking at some of the, the stuff that's been attached to the Dark Knight here, okay? We have Morgan Freeman's car accident. Okay, well... You know, he was in a car accident. That happens. <laughs> I hit a deer a couple of weeks ago. I mean, is that does that mean the show's cursed? And you weren't even driving a 97 Nissan Maxima. No, I wasn't. The show's cursed tonight, but generally we do all right. And then you have uh, Christian Bale uh, assaulting, allegedly assaulting his mother and sister. Well, is that really any kind of a curse, or is that just Christian Bale, you know, making poor decisions? That's that. First of all, I wouldn't even have known the guy was Welsh, if it hadn't been for you know the story about him assaulting his mother and sister and said Welsh actor Christian Bale. Matt and I were both like, well, yeah, <laughs> like he's not American. He was in American Psycho. He has to be American. So that's that's just a bad decision on his part. Um, the death of the uh, stunt supervisor. I, I don't know enough of the details about that, Matt. I know you had read something about that online. Uh-huh. All I know is that um, was it, was it during filming or was it a car accident? He said he died in a freak accident in London while setting up a car crash. Yeah. So I'm assuming by setting up a car crash, unless he was rigging up Morgan Freeman's car crash, yeah. that's probably for the he might have been. I so I don't know. Who knows? That sounds like an on-the-job thing. I, I mean, mean, it happens. Look at the Twilight Zone movie. Well, he's a stunt. I guess when you're a stunt man, you have you take risks. Yeah, that's the whole point. Con- I mean, consequences so. with mm-hmm. those risks. So, and then, I mean, and those those three things alone do not a curse make, I don't think. But uh, there's a little bit more I found today on Cryptomundo, which is uh, the great website where Lauren Coleman posts a lot of cryptozoology news. And he actually had, he's following up on this idea of the curse a little bit. Uh, and apparently on Saturday, June 28th at Six Flags Over Georgia, 17-year-old Asia Lishan Ferguson of Springfield, South Carolina, scaled two six-foot fences and passed through restricted areas posted as dangerous to visitors. Ferguson jumped the fences and was then decapitated by the Batman roller coaster. So is this, you know, a precursor to the curse? Uh, obviously the film didn't come out until uh, mid-July, but maybe, you know, the... This was kind of related to that. Uh, could just be coincidence. You could extend the uh, Superman curse to those that uh, person who fell out on the Superman. Yeah, that's true. The person and the, on the, uh, the girl on the uh, Superman Tower of Power or whatever. I that, don't, that I don't know if I she know that. Uh, a cable like there was a loose cable or something and ripped her feet off. Yeah. Ooh. So. And, and then. Uh, there is uh, another talk 
uh, you know, this this person was decapitated, and and uh, this this kind of sprung up because Lauren was following the story. As you know, besides following cryptozoology, he follows crimes, right? And he he frequently writes about them, not necessarily on Cryptomundo, but in other writings. And he was following the story of the uh, Canadian bus beheading. I don't know if anybody's have you heard about uh, yeah. this. This was a strange case. Apparently, the gentleman was riding on the bus and fell asleep, and somebody decapitated him with a hunting knife and received the part of his heart out and yes. other pieces. Yeah. And the gentleman worked at a carnival. Yeah. And said that he loved being a carny. So, you know, that's kind of Lawrence speculating that might tie into the to the other accident here. But also embedded within the movie, or at least certainly in the trailers, as shown in the photos published by Entertainment Weekly, which are on Cryptomundo.com, is the Heath Ledger character of the Joker using the Joker slash death card as his business calling card. And it's shown holding a decapitated head. If so. Well, in some some of the old um, tarot cards, the death card does have the Reaper holding a head. And depending upon... Which deck and stuff like that. So that that's just another case of coincidence. But uh, it does say that uh, he says that he's not sure that it's in. It says here. Let me just try to follow this here. If factual, the powerful nature of these images only being in the trailer and pre-release publicity photos, but not in the actual film, is significant. So he heard that it's not in the actual film. I don't remember for sure if he holds the Joker card up in the film. Do you remember that, Matt Costello? Um, I remember the card coming up here and there in the movie, but I'm not sure exactly if he was holding a head or not. So, so but it, it has been tied into the, the idea of the beheading. Then Is it a tarot card? It, it, it looks, looks like a playing like, card. Yeah, playing card. Okay. I thought you were, they were just talking about that. Okay. So, yeah, but, it, I mean, it's definitely a Joker card. Oh, did you hear that? Well, studio again. Someone just, somebody just said something in my left ear. Nobody else picked that up? No. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> the strange things that happen here in the spooky studio. Well, remember, they are studio headphones. Yeah, that's true. For all I know, I'm picking up Fun 107. But uh, if you have any thoughts on the Batman... There it goes again. If you have any thoughts on the Batman curse or any film curses in general, I mean, we could talk about just about any one of them. 508-996-0500. 508-291-0500. Want to take another break here, Matt? Or? Sure. Do we need to burn some more before the hour? Yep. All right, so let's do that. When we come back, we'll talk about all kinds of more stuff, whatever you want to talk about. Any paranormal experiences you might have had, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz, here to talk about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. And if you ever miss an episode, you can go online to SpookySouthCoast.com. You can stream them and download them there. You can also stream them uh, on PlanetParanormal.com. And you can get them from pretty much every podcasting service in existence. If there's one out there that doesn't have Spooky South Coast, let us know. We'll give you the feed. You can either submit it or we'll submit it. We'll make sure we get it up there because 
by trying to spread the spooky word as best we can. Now, Matt Moniz, uh, we, um, you and I are engaged in a new venture at Open Doors in Braintree, yep. and we're going to be presenting various different aspects of the paranormal there. And let me just say, I went there, I taught my first, the first week of my introduction to the paranormal course, and uh, I just want to say, I want to make a clear thing. We'll talk, we can talk about this more, too, in the next hour, but I just want to make it clear to people, like, there's a number of other of these courses out there, and I'm not trying to rock the boat here and upset anybody that already teaches these courses. Uh, basically, what I'm trying to do is kind of fill in the blanks excuse me, of what other classes don't get to. Because if you go and take a lot of these other courses, it's kind of like a one-night, couple-hour thing, and you can't really fit everything that you need to fit into there. So they try and teach you, you know, the basics of investigation, the basics of, you know, types of phenomena, the basics of starting a group. And, like, we started this week with, you know, the history of the paranormal. Why, why do we have ghost sightings? How are these showing up throughout cultures throughout history? Who are some of these early paranormal researchers? So, and as I'm doing this, I've just become fascinated with the history of the paranormal. <laughs> we, we were talking about this, and I, I think really, like, if I had to pick a specialization in terms of what I was going to work on, you know, I, I think I'd focus on paranormal history because it's just fascinating the way that it's sprung up. Not to mention how it continues to repeat over and over and over again throughout our recording. And, and the fact that some of these early ghost hunters, uh, you know, are employing the same means that we do today. Our technology is a little bit better, but they have the same investigative approaches. You know, it's just, I think that's important for people to learn. Yeah, I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. Well, let's take a call here. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Oh. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Ah, uh, I've got a... Uh, I think my wife is kind of a ghost uh, magnet. <laughs> oh, sure. There's plenty of people that are like that. All right. Uh, let me kind of give you a little bit of code, uh, you know, and I've got a question also. Sure. Uh, it started one, uh, let me see, about 20 years ago, actually. Uh, we had a tenant, an elderly gentleman, and uh, we, we went away for a, a three-day weekend type thing. And while we were gone, I got a, a phone call. Well, in the evening, my wife had fallen asleep on a sofa, and we were kind of watching TV and everything. She woke up, and, and she says, I had a really weird dream about our tenant. I said, well, what do you mean? She says, I, I dreamt that he died in, in, in a cabin or a cave. I says, yeah, that's weird. So... We, we didn't think too much about it. We went to sleep, and we woke up in the morning, and she said, you know, that the tenant, that uh, dream I had, it continued after I went to bed. And she, when she woke up and told me, it was about maybe 9 o'clock in, in, in the evening. So the ne later during the, the morning, my uh, I had a call, and... Uh, my my mom called and said, "Hey, you you know your tenant?" I said, "Yeah." I says, "Well, we got a call. He died last night." Wow. Yeah, it's freaky. And I says, "What do you mean?" She says, "He he died. He was he was in New York with his family, and they were taking him to uh, to see the Rockettes, and he had a heart attack, 
in the subway. Ah. Right. Freaked me out completely. Well, I mean, many people do report having precognitive dreams of somebody's death, but, I mean, normally it's somebody that they're pretty well connected with, Matt Moniz, isn't it? Usually like a family member or a close friend. Yeah, no, this this was just no no, no uh, relation. And uh, the, the next time it happened, my father had died. Um, a few months after we went to, we were on a cave. He was buried in the uh, the na- uh, National Cemetery mm-hmm. there, and we stopped. And um, he, I'm trying to get this, get it so it's right. After we were going back to the car, and have you been to the cemetery out there? Yes. There's it's pines. Correct. That's that's all you see out there. Scrub we pine to the car, she, I opened the door for her, and she opened the door, and he, as I came around to my door, he said, my, mom, uh, my, uh, my wife says, do you notice anything? So I, as I opened the door, I said, I notice anything? She said, yeah, do you notice anything? And, I, and it hit me like, I said, flowers. She says, yeah. And as soon as I said it, it was gone, mm-hmm. completely gone. Now, we're, we're actually up against the news break here, so uh, I just want to make sure you can get to your question before we have to go. Okay. question is, we, we were in, in Scott. Can, can I hold through? Um, sure. It would be about a six- or seven-minute hold. No problem. Okay. Well, then we'll do that then. All right. All right. Hang on. I'll let you put them on hold. Then. There you go. So, yeah, we are up against the news break, but when we come back in the second hour, we'll uh, we'll finish up the call with this gentleman because uh, we, we want to be able to get to his question, and we'll take any calls from you as well at 508 508- Nine nine six zero five hundred five zero eight two nine one zero five hundred. We'll also talk about the week in weird, which will make its return after a couple weeks' absence, because we've been so busy around here lately, we haven't gotten to it. So we will get to it today with some interesting stories, and uh, we'll also talk about a new cryptid, possible cryptid, showing up in in Long Island. Matt Moni thinks he has it debunked. Yeah. And uh, we will talk more about the Montauk Monster in the second hour. So stay tuned for more. We'll be back after the news here on Spooky South Coast. Spooky South Coast is back. It's Saturday night. I have no date. A two-liter bottle of Shasta and my all-rush mixtape. Let's rock. Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. And we are going to jump right back into the phone call with the caller that's on the line and let him get to his question. All right, so before the news break, you were saying they had a question for us. Oh, yeah, well, we, my wife and I, were able to go to Scotland in, Ju- in uh, July. Oh, excellent. 
Hey, oh, awesome. And um, at Kalagan, I, I, I say hope, I don't know, say I'm probably not uh, saying that we're right, but there's a, a battlefield there that we were taking, you know, looking at it and taking pictures and everything. There's a, co- a cottage on that battlefield. It's, I don't know, probably like from the 1200s. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a, uh, I took a picture of the, the, the thing, then I took another picture of it from a different angle. There's a, a bench in front of the, the cottage. The first picture is just clear. I mean, just nothing great, but we brought the second picture up, and right next to the bench, there's a, um, I don't know, looks a, a foggy patch, mm-hmm. right? And I I know it's an over, over day, you know, overcast day. There's no sign, shadows or, or reflection or anything like that. Uh, it's a, a digital camera. It's, in fact, it's still in the uh, memory stick. And um, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not going to say it's a ghost, but I would say, it, you know, I wonder. Uh, would I, is there a way I could get that checked? Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we could even look at it and give you some, some idea of what it might be, but you could also take it to photo experts and... and Photo analyst. If, if you just put it up on the internet too, if you email it to a couple, you know, paranormal researchers, they'll be able to, to dissect it for you yeah, as well. Yeah, we talking to a dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we're we're pretty good at debunking pictures. Uh, the first question I would ask you is, um, what what time of day was the photo? Uh, it was during it. It was, uh, it was during um, I'd say late morning. Okay. So I mean, it is possible that that's a a time when fog can come about well, oh no it was clear you could see it in the first picture and it, it was just a small it was about the size, size uh no long, larger than the 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 bench it was just a a bar a, a spot of it you know were, were you using a flash at the time no 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 flash and and uh it's a digital a digital camera uh what color is the bench Oh God! Natural wood, weathered, I okay. believe. Because it, it, I mean, it sounds like we're eliminating uh, a number of possibilities for it to be something like something a reflection. If it's a natural wood, would yeah, you know, no, yeah, there's, there's nothing around to. Uh, and and it's, I think it was the second picture I took from the same, uh, just a, a slightly different angle, and I put, took a third picture of my wife next to the same bench. And it was not in there. I mean, just based on the factors of, of what we discussed, it sounds like there could be something to it. Um, That's what I was thinking. If, if you want to see it, I can you know, get it to you somehow. Yeah, sure. I mean, if you can send us a copy of it or feel free to come by sometime before the show and, and, and show it to us, and we can give you at least our opinion of what you think. And also, you know, uh, there's, there's always different paranormal groups giving discussions or lectures. You could always bring it to one of those. I know... Capers uh, down on the Cape, they they have one every every month where it's free at Cape Cod Community College the last Friday of every month. And okay, is there any is, is there any way I could talk you off off the off the radio or you know just to let you know how to find you guys? Sure, I mean you could just come here before the show some night too on a Saturday. 
Where are you located? Uh, do you know where the WBSM studios are in in Fair Haven? Haven? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep, so uh, just uh, come on in sometime before uh, before the show. We usually uh, get here about quarter quarter ten. Okay, fine. Yeah, and we can we can check it out for you. Saturday night, right? Yep. Thank you. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, I mean, we don't mind taking a look at people's evidence and, and trying to help them one way or another. I mean, that's part of what our role is here, I think. Yeah, and if we can't answer the question, we know the people that can. Exactly. All right, well, let me take this other call. Oh, I just put it on hold again. I... I I'll get it right sooner or later. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Hello? Oh, okay. Well, they can call back. If if you would like to call in and join the discussion, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And, uh, Matt, before we get into the Matt Moniz, before we get into the Week in Weird, why don't you give us kind of a little preview of, of what you're working on for your upcoming presentation? I am working on the presentation... Uh, involving visitation to this planet by beings, I guess, from elsewhere. Uh, it's a presentation of visitation, as it's been billed as. Uh, it, I'll be talking about some of the earliest records of ET involvement on this planet up to the current status of where we are today. It's a, basically a, a historical overview and done under two hours. Well, I mean, that's a lot of information to cram into two hours. As I was saying before, I did my first class, and, and I thought I didn't have enough material to go two hours, and I actually had to cut it short and save some for next week. There you go. Once you get on a roll, you know, it's... it's but the as you said, the uh, the it is called We Are Not Alone, a presentation of visitation by Matthew Moniz of Spooky South Coast. It'll be Friday, August 16th from 7 to 9 p.m. Tickets will be $25, or if you prepay by August 11th, you can get in for $10.00. And uh, he will give you all that information that he was just talking about. It'll be at Open Doors Learning and Healing Center Gift and Bookstore, 395A Washington Street in Braintree. 781-843-8224 is the number. That's 781-843-8224. Their website is opendoors7.com. That's opendoors7.com. And they have uh, coming up also uh, on August 16th, they have a seance with uh, Diana DiMartino, Linda Marie, Linda Gibson, and Elizabeth Russell. So you can watch them perform the seance, and, and maybe the uh, spirits will speak to you. Tickets for that are $40. Prepaid by August 11th or $25, and that'll be sat next Saturday night from 6.30 to 9.30. So go to the seance, check it out, and by the time you get out, it'll be time for Spooky South Coast, so you'll be all set. What a night. And uh, my course, Introduction to the Paranormal, is underway, but... On the 27th, we'll be conducting the investigation that's tied into the course. It's the final exam for the course, so to speak. Uh, what it'll be is it'll be at a location in Braintree that I can't reveal publicly, but I've told Matt Moniz and Matt Costa about it, and they both think it's a pretty cool place, um, if, especially if the stories are true surrounding it. No other paranormal investigation groups have ever been allowed to go in and investigate this location and likely won't be allowed to again. Uh, we're hoping we can set it up so that we can keep going back with the course, but it's not going to be in that, an area that's accessible to other investigators. And it's let's just say it's the type of building where other towns are having a lot of activity Yeah, lately. We'll go that far. So you don't want to miss it. I believe that the price will be uh, $50 just to participate in that investigation that night. So you can be any level experienced investigator. Join us for that night. 
for fifty dollars, with the proceeds going to the uh, Diana Devana Center to help uh, abuse victims. If you want to sign up, seven eight one eight four three eight two two four or opendoors the number seven dot com. Tell them that you heard about the investigation on Spooky South Coast. And you want to take part. Also, November fourteenth, we will be investigating the USS Salem in Kingston, uh, Kingston in Quincy, with uh, through Open Doors as well. So you can sign up for that in advance as well. So, I think I've uh, I've plugged uh, what we need to plug for this week, right? Let's see what else we got. Well, we have the evening of ghost stories with Shannon Sylvia and Dave Manch at, at Open Doors as well, coming up Thursday, September twenty fifth. So you don't want to miss that either. But I think uh, I think it's weird time. What do you guys think? The big return of weird time. More bad news. Hey, well, I got a great show for you today. What's so wonderful? Weird stuff. I feel, I feel so very weird. <laughs> The Week in Weird. Well, this first story comes from the Telegraph in the UK. The Association of the Sovereign Order of the Temple of Christ, whose members claim to be descended from the legendary crusaders known as the Knights Templar, have filed a lawsuit against Benedict the 16th, calling for him to recognize the seizure of assets worth 100 billion euros, or 79 billion pounds. They claim that when the order was dissolved by his predecessor, Pope Clement V in 1307, more than 9,000 properties as well as countless pastures, mills, and other commercial ventures belonging to the knights were appropriated by the church. But their motive is not to reclaim damages, only, only to restore the good name of the Knights Templar. We are not trying to cause the economic collapse of the Roman Catholic Church, but to illustrate to the court the magnitude of the plot against our order, said a statement issued by the self-proclaimed modern-day knights. The Templars were a powerful secret group of warrior monks founded by French knight Hugh de Payen in the first century, I'm sorry, after the first crusade in 1099 to protect pilgrims en route to Jerusalem. They amassed enormous wealth and helped to finance wars waged by European monarchs, but spectacularly fell from grace after the Muslims reconquered the Holy Land in 1244 and ruined the surface of their heretic practices. The knights were accused of denying Jesus, worshipping icons of the devil in secret initiation ceremonies, and practicing sodomy. Many Templars confused their, I'm sorry, confessed to their crimes under torture, and some, including Grand Master Jacques de Molay, were burned at the stake. The legal move by the Spanish group comes. Wow, this is this is written by a newspaper. It doesn't really make sense. It follows the unprecedented step by the Vatican towards the rehabilitation of the group. When last October it released copies of parchments recording the trials of the knights between 1307 and 1312, the papers had laid hidden for more than three centuries having been misfiled within papal archives until they were discovered by an academic in 2001. The parchment revealed that, contrary to historic belief, Clement V had declared the Templars were not heretics, but disbanded the order anyway to maintain peace with their accuser, King Philip IV of France. Over the centuries, various groups have claimed to be descended from the Templars, and legends abound over hidden treasures, secret rituals, and their rumored guardianship of the Holy Grail. And, of course, it's also been focused on in recent media like Indiana Jones' The Last Crusade and Dan Brown's novel The Da Vinci Code and the subsequent movie. So they have it. The descendants of the Knights Templar filing suit for 100 billion euros to reclaim the good name of the Knights Templar. Matt Moniz, do you get a cut of that? If that's... 
I'll never tell. All right. Matt Costa, what do you have for us? Tremaine Durham, 33, of New York City, recently admitted that he fatally shot Adam Cabra, 39, of Gresman, New York, in 2006. Durham wanted to sell an ice cream truck and ordered an $18,000 truck from an Oregon company. He later changed his mind, but the company wouldn't provide a refund. The would-be ice cream man came to Oregon and killed Calbreth, a former employee of the company, while looking for its owner, authorities said. Durham agreed to plead guilty to this murder, but only if he could get a break from jail food. The judge agreed to grant Durham a feast of Kentucky Fried Chicken, Popeye's Chicken, mashed potatoes, coleslaw, carrot cake, and ice cream after Wednesday's sentencing. Durham, Durham wants to get the rest of the deal, Calzone, Calzone's lasagna, pizza, ice cream, and ice cream, his defense attorney confirmed. Durham also got married on Wednesday in a civil cer- ceremony at the Portland Courthouse. The wedding was to Vanessa Davis, 48, also of New York City, but was not part of the plea bargain. Deputy District Court Josh Lambert of, of uh, Multonoma County made the right call in allowing this unusual plea agreement because it saved expense of a trial and possible appeals. And that's from AP. So, Not bad, I guess. Like, I guess yeah. a feast. For admitting... I guess so. Well, he also got married, too, so isn't that part of his sentence? Well, he was, hey, already, going <laughs> he was already going to jail. <laughs> At least he got some chicken out of the deal. And, you know, Popeye's chicken is the shiz. Can we say shiz on the radio? Sure. Okay. All right, Matt Moniz, what do you have for us? It's from the BBC News. A vast physics experiment, the Large Hadron Collider, LHC, reaches a key milestone this weekend ahead of an official startup on the 10th of September. Engineers have previously thought a beam of protons, tiny subatomic particles, to the doorstep of the DLC. Today, protons were piled, or sorry, were piped through the LHC magnets for the first time. The most powerful physics experiment ever built, the LHC, will recreate the conditions present in the universe just after the Big Bang. There are over 5,000 magnets arranged end-to-end in a ring that runs for 27 kilometers through a giant tunnel under the French-Swiss border. Once the LHC is fully operational, two proton beams will be fired down pipes running through these magnets. These beams will then be steered in opposite directions around the main ring at close to the speed of light. At the allotted points along the tunnel, the beams will cross paths, smashing into one another with a cataclysmic force. Scientists hope to see new particles in the debris of these collisions, revealing fundamental new insights into the nature of the cosmos and how it came into being. So they're essentially going to recreate the Big Bang. Yeah, it's just another super collider. Now, is there any chance that uh, when they do this, they're going to create their own little mini-universe? One of the theories that people have been talking about is making small black holes. Any chance that uh, we're going to blow up from them doing this? Yeah, well... They're eventually going to implode all matter? Yeah, well, bear in mind, this is a lot of energy you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean... Could it, you know, 
really cause a big problem in terms of the earth. Not because of scale here, but if, if something goes wrong, yeah, you, you could, you know, take out part of France, which is no real great don't loss. Don't, but don't, don't cross. Don't cross <laughs> the we have lots of listeners in France. Don't cross the streams. <laughs> That's true. Don't cross the streams. Right, well, there you have it. That is the Week and Weird for this week. If you have a story you'd like to submit for the Week and Weird, if something strange and unusual catches your eye, then uh, all you have to do is go to SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the Forum tab, go to the Week and Weird thread there on the message board, and put the story in there or put a link to it. And if we use it on the air, we'll give you a Spooky South Coast bumper sticker. So, what a deal. All you got to do is read Weird News and you get a bumper sticker out of it. Not a bad deal. So uh, we'll be right back. We'll talk about the Montauk Monster and everything else that you want to talk about related to the paranormal. 508-996-0500. 508-291-0500. We will be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. From the studios of AM 1420 WBSN, into the night and beyond, here's more of Spooky South Coast. Sorry, Matt Costa, we were were talking Mercedes-Benz, you wouldn't understand. (laughs) His car's newer than ours. All right, we are Spooky South Coast. We are talking the paranormal, well, for the most part. And uh, we will take your calls at 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. If you have any questions at all about anything paranormal, we'll try to answer it, or at least tell you where you can go to find the information. Uh, if you've ever had a paranormal experience, uh, seen a ghost, or you know, had a precognitive dream, as the caller was talking about before, or seen a UFO, or... Had dinner with Bigfoot or something? Encountered the, the Montauk monster? We'll, uh, we'll take your call. 996-0500, 508-291-0500. Let's talk about this Montauk monster, Matt Moniz, because I don't know what's wrong with me. Maybe I just, I've been so busy I haven't really been following things on the Internet. And you had actually mentioned this to me the other day, and I was like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> and you were like, what do you mean, what are you talking about? Because like, obviously it's been a big news story, and I yeah. just missed it. Um. But basically, let me see here. Somewhere in my notes here, I have the actual story of what happened. But uh, basically, it was a a day in July where something actually washed up on the beach. Um, Let's see here. Okay. You like how how I'm just floating floating here, yeah. Uh, So here's, here's from a story that ran in New York Newsday. Something really did wash up in Montauk one sunny day two weeks ago. More than four people saw it. More than one person photographed it. The surf was rough, flipping the thing over and over and over again. Jenna Hewitt of Montauk and three friends crept up to examine one side. Hewitt snapped the camera shot heard around the world. But uh, her group was the second on the scene that afternoon. The first was a quartet of sun worshippers from West Suffolk and New York City. It looked like nothing I'd ever seen before, said Ryan O'Shea of Brooklyn. It looked like it died angry. They were so puzzled by what they saw, they left and came right back with more friends. Uh, Christina Pampalone of East Northport borrowed O'Shea's camera. She aimed and kept on firing. 
And uh, the photos are available. I mean, if you go to Cryptomundo.com, they definitely have them all up there. And uh, Papalone was got her shots kind of exclusively up to Cryptomundo, which was pretty cool. Um, but uh, basically, they they found this thing that could be a dog or could be a, a raccoon is another theory that's been going out there. Uh, one person here, Joanne DiLiorardo, uh said that it looked like a pig, which we'll get to that. And uh, let's see here. There's another story where they spoke to William Wise, director of Stony Brook University's Living, Main, Living Marine Resources Institute, and uh, he talked with a fellow biologist, and he said he knows that it's not a raccoon because the legs, legs appear to be too long in proportion to the body. It's not a sea turtle because they don't have teeth. It's not a rodent because rodents have two huge curved incisor teeth in front of their mouths. He said the general body shape looks like a dog or other canine, but that it has a prominent eye ridge and the feet don't match. He said the feet and face look somewhat ovine. That would be like a sheep, but sheep don't have sharp teeth. So his best educated guest, someone got creative with latex. So he believes that it's probably a fake or it's been manipulated through digital photography. Matt Moniz, you've seen the photos. Yes, and what did you think when you initially saw it? Well, the first thing I thought of, because uh, when I was reading the story, it, it talked about the front of this thing having a beak. Now, I'm thinking like a bird's beak or, or what have you, and, you know, the teeth and the, mentioning the hair around the neck similar to a mane. And I was looking at the front feet, which looked like they, were, they had fingers and claws. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I'm thinking is like, this is like the ancient descriptions of a griffin. That's and that's what Lauren kind of uh, that's, likened it to. Yeah, the, I mean, you know, him and I have similar ideas when it comes to certain cryptids. So having him think that same thing is not, especially with the this, the descriptions and the photograph of what the thing looked like. And I, I'm looking as like, but something else looked familiar about it to me, and I was like, I couldn't put my finger on it. And uh, I put up a little blog on uh, my. MySpace account, and uh, I was like, I, I was getting to the point where I was actually going to go down to Montauk and get pieces of this thing and run it through my DNA sequencer, and was like, what is this? Mm -hmm. And then, luckily, uh, a friend of a friend of ours that we know, um, Tammy, uh, she she was able to fortunately send me some photographs of other mo supposed Montauk creatures that have washed up on shore. And the second picture that I saw that she provided definitely answered the question for me. Is it, it is a carcass of a pig. Now, what happened is the snout is very soft tissue. Okay. Okay, extremely soft. And as you know, I also do work as a um, volunteer fire, mainly dealing with the, you know, my scuba diving. It's, for all intents and purposes, is body recovery. And I've seen bodies that have been in the water. All soft tissue starts to go away first, and it strips the hair off, and it's not pretty. But um, that, that's what happened with the pig. The, the, the hair comes out, and the soft tissue of the nose comes off. And what it does is gives the appearance of a beak. Now, I only saw the first picture profile, but this other picture definitely shows what looks like the same thing from another angle, and it is definitely a pig. And I recognize the pig. You know, from the many pig roasts I've been to, and a pig skull is uh, pretty discernible if you know what you're looking at. What about the jaw and the teeth? Are those? Yes, pigs have teeth and jaws just like that. Yes. Okay. Because these look like they were almost like coyote teeth. 
most people don't realize that pigs use their teeth for um, burrowing and running. That's why they're very prominent. Uh, particular t types of pigs have some have very thick hair and very hardy uh, front incisors like that or canine teeth. Uh, particularly the Tamworth pig is one of the first type of pigs that were brought over here in the United States to to basically help clear the land. They have very big brooding jaws and very big teeth and you know they're fur covered and stuff like that and very robust they're designed to really work in foresty, forested areas that's why the pilgrims brought them over and other settlers and then they have other domestic pigs and this is what this seems to be is that type of pig well it's what uh, Lauren Coleman refers to as a weekend wonder because it's, it's one of these stories that pops up and you know it's not really encrypted it turns out to be something explainable just in a weird situation um, but also, I mean, this story has really just taken off. What, I mean, did, what did Lauren have to say about it? Did he come to the same conclusion? Well, he hadn't really um, put up any conclusions yet, per se. Uh, but he's just been following the story in the media because it's been all over the place. I mean, earlier today I, I saw something about a, a piece of Montauk Monster toast on eBay. A piece of toast it looks like the Montauk Monster. Okay. Uh, there's a latex thing now that's for sale on it on eBay too. Yeah, he had a picture of that as well. The the recreation there. And, uh, but Lauren did was following this story that the response has been good humored and filled with crypto intrigue regarding the fact that Dr Pepper Snapple's venom venom energy drink is offering a bounty for the live capture of the Montauk monster. Prizes, bounties, and crypto marketing are nothing new to the popular cultural side of cryptozoology. Lauren Coleman writes. As recently as the Bushnell Trail Cam and the Wizards of the Coast Dual Masters card prizes, there have been bounties. And only a small percentage of the comments recorded to Cryptomundo that he could find did he look at, note a lack of historical referencing regarding cryptids being used in ads. Uh, so basically they think that this is an idea, you know, that maybe Venom planted this to try and, and, no. and push their energy. I right? think I know where these things come from. They and come from Plum Island. Okay. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Plum Island is off the coast of Montauk, and uh, the USDA has a laboratory out there, as well as the government had used it as a um, R&D facility for biological testing and warfare. Uh, some of the stuff is still, you know, some of the area is still sealed off. Most people don't realize that. You know, there's even homes that were out there at one point, but um, it's, a, it's a large testing facility, and what they're thinking is, some of the tests, you know, they did this and that, and they, rather than bury the bodies, they dumped them out in the water. And, of course, just like, you know, the garbage that you dump off the shore, it's going to eventually wash up. Well, there's there's already been, you know, all kinds of strange stories around this. Uh, uh, basically, a local real estate agent named Eric Olson told the East Hampton, New York Star newspaper that he's the mystery man who picked the famous cryptid carcass up off the beach last month but that some dastardly bandit had made off of the remains. Yeah, he said someone came and took the carcass, now I have to hunt for my damn creature, he told the newspaper. Uh, also, uh, the woman who first revealed the photo had a different view. Uh, it exists, said Rachel Goldberg, Courtney Fruin, and Jenna Hewitt, denying they had photoshopped a picture of a dead dog. It decomposed in our friend's backyard, said Goldberg, who may or may not be related to Splinterhead producer Darren Goldberg, a claim made by a mystery woman known as Tanya. Now, this film, Splinterheads, is a movie about carnival life being filmed nearby in uh, Pachogu, New York. 
not far from where the monster was reported to be found. Uh, we have the Montauk monster, the website proclaims for the film, along with a photo of the beast. Uh, it's most likely a prop used from the film, according to uh, uh, SersonPark.com. So there's all of this crazy stuff now that maybe is tied into the promotion of that energy drink. Maybe it's a viral campaign for this new movie, Splinterheads, uh, that this Rachel Goldberg and her relative Darren Goldberg are, are supposedly in cahoots uh, together to try to use this to help promote their film. So see what happens. You have one little creature uh, wash up on shore. I'll show you the photograph of the other. It's a known pig. Hmm? And like I said, this is... Well, I'm, the, not, I'm not doubting what you're these saying. These things have... This is this photograph is only one photograph of one of these things that come up. Apparently, according to this great article, like I said, that Tammy was able to send to me, these things have been continuously washing up on shore. Every, oh, the other ones were known to be pigs and already identified. So what it is is just a case of a, another one of these carcasses coming up because nobody bothered to look into the rest of all of the several others that have already washed up, this has become you know... But yeah, this is what you're talking about though, you're talking about actually doing a little research, doing a little digging you know, finding previous examples of this and that's not what the people want to do, they just want to jump on this as being the next big monster. Well, hey it's like uh, remember the chupacabra thing that they found supposedly in the desert that, you know, that weird thing and they also something in Russia a weird type of fish type of thing. It turned out to be a, what they think is a skate. Mm-hmm. I have one of those skates at my house, a dried one, that looks exactly like what they're talking about. It's a common day item that would, if you don't know what you're looking at, exactly. is, is mysterious and strange. Yeah, because often when I go to the beach and I'm just laying there trying to get some sun, they think some weird crypto thing came up from the ocean. <laughs> That's what usually happens with me. But what do you think? Have you have you been following this Montauk monster? Have you heard other similar monster stories? Do they do they raise the hair on the back of your neck in fear, or do they raise the hair on the back of your neck in anger for the fact that people just don't do the research? Give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. We can talk about all things paranormal, uh, any kind of ghostly experiences you've had, any UFO sightings, uh, abductions. We'll take, definitely take your calls about that. Now, speaking of, of abductions, Matt, we had talked about putting together a big uh, show coming up in the in the fall for for talking about alien abductions. I think we definitely need to go through with that, but I think we also have to get, at least in the coming weeks here, we have to get our friend Tiffany Johnson on here because we, ha- we have to nail down a date to have her come in and actually do some readings and, and talk to everybody and, and take some calls over the air. She would probably love to do it. I talked to her the other day. She wants to come on our show. Yeah, we're definitely going to have her, so uh, we'll keep you informed uh, of that so that you can make sure that you can call in and talk to Psychic Tiffany and uh, just see if uh, she can, you know, tell you what's coming, tell you what's going, tell you what's been, tell you what will be. I was going to say, yeah, she's the same psychic I had to go find when Keith was talking about the other day the pregnant woman that didn't want to leave before her reading. So that just goes to show you that she's uh, she's got a pretty high accuracy rate. And Matt Moniz, <laughs> you're not somebody that really uh, suggests psychics for the show, so... Uh, no, I mean, there are a lot of them out there that are, you know, all show. And uh, they're using various forms of trickery and, you know, or just have their own misguided view of how they do it and they just, you know, are entertaining to other people. 
but Tiffany, um, I find that she's very unique. Um, The best way I can, I don't know if you've ever seen her or or what have you, she's a very, very sweet girl. Um, She kind of reminds me of, you know, Chrissy from Three's Company, that type of, you know, very happy, bubbly, you know, although she is intelligent, but she does have her blonde moments, and she's definitely very blonde. But she's very good-natured, and uh, I can tell that when she starts doing her readings, and I've watched her do it versus other people, she's definitely a form of empath, I think, uh, uh, an actual empath. And like I said, to see her do this and how she feels and the way that the other people she's doing the reading for feel at the same time, she has my interest, put it that way. And again, going back to what I was talking about earlier tonight, looking into some of these historical cases of of the paranormal and reading about spiritualism and, and some of the things that were going on back then, there was quite a bit of you know trickery, like you were saying. Uh, and I'm I'm looking at some of these photos in these books, and they're talking about ectoplasm coming from you know Which various orifices. Do you know what the actual ectoplasm was in those old spiritualism photographs? What's that? It was actually cheesecloth that the medium had swallowed. And regurgitated. Yes. Yeah, that's that's the way to do it. All right, let's go to the phones here and take this call. Good evening, you're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Good, how are you? All right. Good. Uh, I got a question on the, about alien abductions. Sure. Um, why? Well, supposedly this has been going on, I mean, sightings for quite a few years, well, hundreds of years. Try um, millions, if not billions. Why would, um, I mean, if they had an experimenting to do, why wouldn't that have been earlier? Why would that still take place, and what would be, you know, what I'm saying, if something's been around that long. Like, what do they still need to find out? Why are they still doing right, what they're, they're doing? If they're so intelligent, I mean, well, I believe they are, um, why would, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's just, well, it's just curious to me that they would be done a long time ago. What's your belief on that, Matt? Why are we still seeing continued abductions today? Because they're following the same protocols and rules that we do in science. It's a continuing, ongoing study. If you're studying something, you want to continue on throughout the entire lifetime that you have. If you started something, you know, a million years ago and you want to see how it looks, you know, two million years after that, if time is not a concern to you. But uh, it's a continuous study process i mean we do this in science all the time just because you you look at something once doesn't mean that you you know don't look at it again and again and again if you're doing a long-term study i do that regularly with some some of the tests i do Uh, they're designed specifically to see what happens over time Mm -hmm. does that answer your question um in a sense but i just such a long period. I mean, it just. Well, but I mean, in the in the cosmic scheme of things, it's really just a short amount of time that humans have been around. You know, compared with just how old the Earth is and how old the universe is. So, you know, we're just we've, you know, we're kind of babies amongst all this. So it's it's if they're following our development, how much have we really developed between now and you know caveman times? Really, not that much, uh, especially uh, in this room. I mean, okay. I, I, uh, the couple, um, Betty and Barney Hill. Yeah, I would believe them most of all uh, for the simple reason that those two didn't need any um, uh, attention. Attention. 
You know what I mean? For the time period it was, you know what I mean? Especially for the time period. And what most people don't realize, or maybe if they do, they hear the names but not really familiar with the case. You know, Betty was a personal friend of mine. I, I knew her well. Mm-hmm. And what when their incident happened in 19... Basically, it was 61 when it occurred, and they came out in 1963 with the story. But even back then, that was before the civil rights movement really began, and they were an interracial couple. So back then... In in New Hampshire. In New Hampshire, yeah. So attention was the last thing they were looking for. That's why above everybody, you know, I mean, you hear this every day, and for years and years I remember hearing about, you know, different people claiming... but. I would believe them most of all just because of that. I mean, they, they, that's the last thing they needed in the world. I mean, Matt, you do work with, with Peter Robbins and with Bud Hopkins, and, and you guys have filters to, you know, filter out who are the abductee claims that go on Jerry Springer and who are the abductee claims that anonymously try to contact the Intruders Foundation. Right. Uh, well, yeah, that's the first kicker. When you're looking at somebody that is looking to post their story anonymously, if they're coming in, I really don't want to get my name, but I, you know, this, that gives us a little bit more to look at. If you're coming in, well, here's my whole life story, da 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 da, and you know, granted there are people like that out there to, to it's just their nature, but that generally sends up a flag. That's trying to say, hey, look at me, look what's happening to me. That person is generally a candidate, possibly for. You know, attention-seeking may not necessarily have a legitimate case, but it is just looking for attention. Um, another thing, um, I've I noticed, well, a lot of people have noticed, actually, um, what's up with the birds now at night? I don't know if you guys have heard anything. Hearing about, them sing still at night? No, and flying. Yeah. I find that strange. I mean, seagulls, constantly I hear them. Well, we, we hear them and see them uh, all hours. And um, it just, I find that strange. Uh, last couple of years, uh, more than ever, uh, 11, 30, 12 o'clock, uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, I live down the south end, and uh, I mean, it's just like, a, I, I've read a few things on it, and they said, well, the aerodynamics are uh, a little different, and they really, some people say they can't fly, but... Oh, they can fly. They yeah. can fly at night. But what would be, uh, almost in the last couple of years, more than ever? Yeah. Well, one thing would be the population of them starting to really become more prevalent. Mm-hmm. So more birds, more chances of hearing it. Number two, you might want to pay attention to the moon outside. Uh, the more moonlight there is, the more chance of them being out and hunting and fishing at night. Uh, seagulls are are a bird that will fly at night. Uh, well, they're a scavenger, po- too, right? Right. So. That, that's the reason why they're flying at night, Most, especially a seabird. Most of the activity of hunting happens at night in the sea, so what they're looking to do is pick up the remains of the or predators. The fish that jump out and right. feed on the there mosquitoes. You go. And I mean, I just, I, I thought it was me. I said, this is weird, but, you know, other friends talking to around the neighborhood, said, yeah, gee, what's up with that? Well, no. you, you know what it might be, too? Is it might be that you noticed it once, and then once you do, then you notice it all the time? Yeah. Like you don't really notice how many red cars there are until you buy a red car? I have a red car. Say, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, now we're getting into some strange experiences. Yeah. But I just saw, uh, I just saw, uh, one strange, I just saw, uh, I just, gee, I mean, I, you know, I actually, I noticed them more 
Uh, I, maybe it's because of the maybe more garbage uh, inland more than yeah. at the water. I mean, I see more. Like uh, I don't know if you, any of you guys are familiar with Ingraham School. No, I'm down not. in the South End. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they seem to be. Uh, I don't know why that area quite a bit. Um, even I guess roosting or whatever you want to call it. The roofs over there, which I I, I thought was odd. But, uh, yeah, it seems to be just a lot in that area, and you can actually see them in the daytime uh, over there. And uh, I just, you know, I well, probably nothing but... Uh, well, definitely, it's definitely worth keeping an eye on and seeing, seeing what happens. I think I may also know why. You know how they just recently did all of the, um, was it the waterworks at the end of the south end there? Yeah. Okay, you know how they just finished all of that, and there's a lot more stuff being flowed out into... Uh, New Bedford Harbor, if you know what I mean. Yeah. That generates more fish. More fish means more seagulls to feed on it. It's a perpetual thing. What they did is increase the food source for one thing that makes what they prey on more prevalent so more seagulls would show up to, you know, feast on what's there. Oh. Makes sense? Yes, it does. Okay. All right, right, guys. Thanks for checking in. We've got to take a break before the end of the show, So, uh, but uh, we thank you for checking in as always. Okay. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. All right, why don't we take our last break of the night, then when we come back, we'll say our goodbyes. Uh, Maybe we can sneak in one more call, 508-996-0500, We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. All right, we only got a few minutes here, but let's go right to the phones because we have a call. Good evening, you're on Spooky South Coast. How you doing? No, we don't have a call. Okay. Good, because we're just about out of time anyway. <laughs> but, uh, yes, an eventful show, to say the least. What do you think? Does this go down in the Spooky Archives as one of the classics? A classic? Maybe. You know what it is? We had, we had such great shows the last few weeks. We just needed, you know, we needed to even out a bit. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we would have elbows hitting iPods and everything else. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't even put up last week's show on the Internet yet, but I, I will get it up there. Our fascinating discussion last week with uh, Kathy Martin and Stan Friedman about both the Betty and Barney Hill case and about UFOs in general. So uh, stay tuned for that, and, and that will be up there real soon, as, as well as this. I guess we'll release this show after podcast, too. <sighs> this is what happens when uh, we let Moniz handle booking the guests, huh? <laughs> oh, that's it. That's a shot. That's an un- unnecessary shot because he's brought us so many great guests in the past. Just so happened he picked one who was on vacation this weekend. <laughs> but that's all right because we pretty much went on vacation too. But we'll be back next week with an all-new show, and uh, we've got a whole bunch of stuff planned as well. So, And you can always keep up to date with what's going on with Spooky South Coast by going to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. We have a number of upcoming you know, little public lectures and public presentations that will be coming up in the next few months. We'll post them all up there so that you'll know where to find us, come out and meet us, show us your evidence, uh, you know, buy T-shirts. We usually sell T-shirts wherever we go. We like to hand out bumper stickers and pens wherever we go too, so if you don't want to miss your chance for some free spooky swag, 
and uh, we'll be happy to meet you. And, and unlike Keith Johnson, we won't sign your forehead. <laughs> uh, I feel bad. I hope that girl got that out because that was with a Sharpie. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she might be going to school this year with a Love Keith permanent tattoo on her forehead. But, hey, she's a big fan. What, what, do you, what can you say? It, the people outside actually had a great time. And, you know, there's a lot more people out there than we realized, like, yeah, a lot of people apparently were sitting out in their car. Yeah, I didn't realize that, and, but I've been hearing things. and I know everybody over at the Standard Times has been listening to the to the podcast as well, and I've been getting a lot of positive feedback from them. So we'll definitely be doing this again in the future. I know the writers have a bunch of stuff up their sleeve, so we'll come up with some more, and maybe we'll actually get out there and maybe we can do something live in front of an uh, audience. I like the Halloween idea. Yeah, we can probably come up with something. But uh, you know how it gets around Halloween time here. You know, the time when we should be talking about the paranormal on the radio, we don't oh, really yeah. get enough chances to. So who knows what can happen. Maybe, maybe we can find some place where we can go out and do it live and perform in front of people and record it for podcasts. Okay. Whatever works. Matt Cost is like, I ain't getting up in front of people and, and act. You can just get up there and bang, you know, cookie sheets and oh, shape malleable metal and Whatever else you need to do to, to make. I quick. could get up in front of a crowd and say, "These pretzels are making me thirsty." <laughs> you could have had more lines. I just figured I'm you were going to be really busy <laughs> with uh, everything else going on. All right. Well, speaking of really busy, we're sure that all of you are, and you have better things to do than listen to us ramble on for the last couple minutes of the show. So we'll let you go. We'll end the torture. We'll talk to you next week. So for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, I'm Tim Weisberg, and we want you all to stay spectacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Supernatural is something that isn't.